0: Welcome back to Finding Perfect Property, Diary of a Buying Agent. This is episode 13 and I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted to be joined by Manuela Hamilford, interior designer. Um, Manuela Hamilford is the founder of Hamilford Design um, and she has run her own successful interior design business and architecture practice since 2000. Um, She's helped hundreds of clients transform their homes from townhouses in London to uh, cool apartments in New York, luxury retreats in the Hamptons, um, prestigious country estates, she's even done hotels in Europe. Um, I'm delighted that we've also been able to film today in one of Manuela's clients whose houses that Manuela's done, she's very kindly allowed us to film here today, which is really, really special. Manuela, then, thank you so much uh, for joining so us welcome. on Finding per- Perfect Property, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast in an amazing environment oh, in Barnes. Thank you, thank you. Um, I always love to start our podcast by asking my guests how they got started, their journey. Um, what was your journey into interior design and then founding
1: your own business? Um, well, the journey is a bit complex, um, so I'm half Italian, half American, and I was born and raised in Italy. And uh, so I lived there till I was 15, and then I moved to the States. And when I was in the States, um, after university, I ended up working for the Italian government. And I worked there for about 15 years, um, helping um, home furnishing companies in Italy produce product to sell in the States. So I was working with designers, uh, royal families, um, all kinds of large important clientele producing product for them in Italy and selling in the U.S. We would sell to the likes of um, Neiman Marcus or saxworth Avenue, Barneys, equivalent to like a Harrods or Selfridges. So we created all these product lines and so that's how I got my taste of sort of interior design and colors and shapes and sizes. And, and then moving on I was recruited by Valentino Home so to create their home division, and this was during the time when you had Armani Casa and Fendi Casa and all the home world started coming alive. And so we created some home product for Valentino Home, which is amazing. So did that for a few years. And then um, then I met my husband, and who's English, and then we moved to the UK. And as usual, I did a home, I did our own home. And somebody saw it and said, would you like kindly do our home? And then I started small and doing homes here and doing a small home there. And the businesses grew. And here we are 15 years later and loving it. Absolutely loving it. Wow. What an incredible um, story from New
0: York to London. I know. Romance and business. I love it. Um, You've obviously had a really um, long career and, and many more years to come, obviously, but you know, over the last 15 or so years, you must have seen lots of things change in, in your industry yeah. and um, uh, with trends and, and, and the way things are done um, and the way the whole world of interior design works. Can you talk to us about what, what's changed most since you first started as an interior
1: designer? Um, I, think, I think probably one of the most recent, most impactful changes has been COVID. I think that COVID really changed the mindset and perspective on how people live, um, how they live with their families, how they work. Um, you know, for example, we've seen a big shift you know, as predicted, you know, everybody was working from home during COVID. So mm. now there's this huge request for um, you know, extensions for an office in a home, or creating what used to be a utility room into a playroom into an office. So there's a lot of working from home um, influence when we do interior design. Yeah. So we've, we've been called in to change rooms around, or even if it's a bookcase, put a desk in there somehow so somebody yeah. can work.
0: So you were very busy during COVID?
1: Oh my gosh, we were so busy during COVID.
0: Starting, it, making offices for people and creating yes. extra space. Yes, but also, yeah. you know,
1: people, you can imagine, you're in your home 24-7, so you're looking up and seeing the cracks in the ceilings yeah. and the chips on the, the paint colours, yeah. you know, the, on the walls. So I was so one of those. <laughs> we were one of those, I know, everybody. I mean, we got so many calls and people are like, need a new bathroom or want a new kitchen. Um, so I think COVID had a huge influence, I, th- I think not just on the work environment, but also I think... Um, what ended up happening because you weren't allowed to go to restaurants and so forth people entertained at home mm. so all of a sudden the, the the living room dining room aspect of entertainment completely changed yeah so the the days of formal dining sort of went away mm. because people wanted it more of a cozy feeling so wanted to entertain in their kitchen yeah so it's making now all of a sudden the kitchen is a really impactful part of the house and the kitchen has to look has to look amazing, has to look bespoke, has to look like joinery. And on top of that, we had to add dining tables and kitchens because people really wanted to stay in that sort of insular environment. Mm. Um, and I think that's really made a huge impact. So now, for example, when we do design kitchens, we design them with sort of a banquette area nearby, as you can see behind you. Here, we've done a whole dining table that serves as like formal dining, but yeah. it's also where the kids have you know cereal in the morning. So it's sort of integrating the lifestyle into one versus having these separated rooms where you have a formal living and then yeah. you have a sitting room and then you have a dining room. Yeah. So that has made a massive impact on house, and and I think also um, the color palettes have changed since COVID. So I think pre COVID we had a lot of sort of uh, people wanted really bright color. They wanted you know brass, you know shiny gold aubergine really impactful colors that more of a show house mm. versus a comfortable home and um and i think what's happened with covid is things have just sort of muted themselves so yeah we have this influence of color particularly colors that are like nature so blues and greens are really really strong palettes and still are in interior design mm. um but not not the electric blue the electric green what we used to see but more the muted colors as yeah. you can see on some of the furniture in this house um, so I think there's a big influence on color palettes. I said, for example, bronze. Bronze is huge right now. So the, sh- the days of brass, shiny brass, detailed and joinery, those days are gone. I think it's all soft and muted, still beautiful, but just not sort mm. of in your face. More tasteful. More tasteful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um You know, what you picked up on on with with COVID trends, I think in our business, we saw similar trends, people really placing a lot of importance on the value of their homes and upsizing and wanting more space, the race for space that we hear about, you know, people wanting to move out to more suburb areas to to, to create, you know, beautiful spaces where they spend a lot of time. So um, we definitely saw that as well. I want to move on to, um, you know, running your own business. We both want our own businesses, which yeah. is great women in, women in, in business. Um, it's super competitive. Um, there are just also in my industry as well, that just, there seem to be so many interior designers, no barrier to entry. Um, what's your take on, 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 on the market and what do you think makes Hamilford design stand out from, from the rest?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think. I think yes. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of, you know, with interior design, you can take a course and get a certificate and that sort of thing. I think. I think what's really important. I think a lot about interior design is not. You don't, you can't really learn it. You. It's sort of innate. You know, you know how to put palettes together. You know how to put colors. You understand proportions. Those are the kind of things that when you meet. A good interior design company, and you look at their portfolio, you could see their background, um, and you could see how the elements are put together. I think, I think for us, what makes us, you know, you know, good at what we do, and and I think we have a great following. I mean, we do people's first home, second home, third home. Um, I think it's because we we are led by the client. So we, we don't have a signature style. So a lot of de- designers will go in and they have a look. And some people buy into that look and that's what they like. Um, but what you'll see is that people, especially now pre- post-COVID, is that people want their own identity in the house. Yeah. They don't want the cookie cutter house. And there's a lot of designers that use the same color palettes throughout and it's a signature for them. Mm-hmm. And so you have to love that. Um, and then you have designers that have a look, and that's the look. And it gets tweaked lightly around the edges, but it's a, it's a very familiar mm-hmm. look. So if you like that, that's great. I think what, what makes us special is that we actually mold ourselves to what the client wants. So we our team's big enough that we can influence the interior design. We guide the interior design process with the input of the client. So it look, it's what they want. Yeah. Um, so we do all kinds of styles. I mean, we do everything from Soho farmhouse type of vibe to uber modern. I mean, we're doing hotels now. We're doing restaurants. We've got one in Knightsbridge. We just finished a bar. So we can jump around in a mix of interior design looks and themes and and, keep, and the final outcome, it still looks professionally designed but it has your signature on it. It's mm. your house. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what makes us really special. I think that's,
0: yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. I think certainly, you know, when clients are asking us for recommendations for interior designers, um, I don't know many clients these days that, that, you know, want an interior designer to overpower them and, yes. and, and tell them yeah. what to do. I think yeah. it's definitely, a, it has to be a collaboration.
1: Um, well, particularly because I think now what's different also, you were asking before about what's, what's changed. In interior design well I think now you know clients have access to so much interior design tools and you know with the likes of Pinterest and Instagram who is constantly feeding ideas and DIY and how to do this and how to find that you know clients are clever they can find anything you know they now are traveling again so the access to different hotel designs that influence the interior design of a house so, you know, clients now, they they sort of know what they want. You know, they have mm-hmm. an idea of what they want. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to listen to that because they are well, they're well versed yeah. on the sort of style that they want to go for. Yeah. So you have to be able to mold your interior design into what they want to do. Yeah. And what's really nice is now with all these tools, it makes our job easier. Mm-hmm. You know, if they come in and start a Pinterest board and share it with us, we already start halfway into the project knowing what, which direction we're going to go in. And then we take that and then we design that sort of look and make it really a common thread throughout the house and keep yeah. it consistent. So it just makes our job easier. But I think it's really important that you don't overpower the client. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point that you brought up. Um, I want to move on a little bit
0: about the role that interior design plays in the real estate market mm-hmm. and um, enhancing value um, and and helping, you um, developers, but also homeowners to get a better price um, for their property. Um, What's your, what's your take on that? If, if for example, um, let's look at two scenarios. So let's look at somebody that owns a home. They've been in their home for 10 years plus. It's looking a little bit shabby. It's cluttered. Is it worth them spending money on revamping it before a sale? How much impact do you think great interior design and fresh and new makes on the final sales outcome in your experience
1: yeah it's i mean it's a tricky one but i i do i do think i mean depending on the state of the house where it is i think any interior design influence in a house is going to upsell the house i mean without a doubt i think what ends up happening with a house that's been lived in for 10 years it it looks tired you know, clients that live there for ten years are not—they don't see the faults in the house anymore. They've been there for ten years. They've lived with the torn sofa, the scratched bookcases, the paint off the wall, because—and they don't see it anymore. We're all—we all do that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to freshen up the house. One, the basic—you know—splash of paint everywhere for sure. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, if, if in a house if you're trying to sell a house for a certain price point, particularly in London. You know, it is competitive and there's some beautiful houses out there. And Mm. I think if you can take the bones of the house and create, um, you know, and I'm not saying create bespoke design throughout the house before a sale, but I think there's elements that are important, like the kitchen, um, you know, master bedroom, even the living space. If you can make it better looking, depending on the age of the furniture that's there, then Absolutely. I think it's key.
0: Yeah. I think from our perspective, what we're seeing in the market is clients are, especially at the moment, willing to pay a premium for turnkey properties yeah, because yeah. they're not really that keen to do work at the moment. Yeah, yes. And that kind of leads me on to the next question, which is, um, you know, since COVID, since Brexit, the cost of doing work, the cost of refurbishing and furnishing a home now has massively gone up. Um, how do you advise clients on what they can expect to, 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 to budget for, um, you know, refurbishing a home, furnishing a home? Obviously, they're two different things with two different costs. But, um, you know, what are you seeing in the market in terms of, of, of
1: costings and what clients can expect to pay for things these days? Um, yeah, Material costs have gone up. They've gone up, I would say, on average of 30 percent from last year. So they have got and not only have they gone up, but there's also delays. So the the process of refurbishment, you know, can be quite lengthy. And I think as long as you manage expectations on a client perspective, then then the then the outcome is always worth the wait. Mm. Um, you know, there's things you can do. For example, if people want to refurbish a house, let's say we get a client in and they, they don't want to, you know, spend all you know their budgets on bespoke jewelry from head to toe then what we would recommend is doing the parts of the house that people see, you know, and the part that you live in the most. So your living, dining, ground floor space. Spend the money there because it is worth it. You know, if you can afford it and you can build a bespoke kitchen, there's nothing more beautiful than a kitchen that's proportionate to the size of the room. Mm. You know, I walk into so many houses that go and get something off the high street. And unfortunately, when you do that, you're sort of obligated to certain dimensions and certain sizes. Yeah. it ends up being smaller sizes. So you walk into a house and you've spent the money, but your kitchen island is a fraction of what it could be yeah. if you had it done bespoke. So it's those little Mm-mm. things that make a difference. Now, if you just want to get a bigger island then you can just spend the money on that, you know, but I think in bookcases, you know, when you're trying to build a bespoke bookcase, you know, when the bookcase doesn't quite reach the size or reach the top mm-hmm. It makes the house feel shorter <clears> makes the ceilings feel lower yeah so particularly if you're in a flat that's got low ceilings you definitely want to utilize the height yeah whether it be in the kitchen whether it be in the bathroom you know we have tiles that go all the way to the ceiling it just increases the height so yeah. those little things cheat the eye to think that the ceilings are higher than they are um, so there's these little things so you know depending on budgets you can do just ground floor and master and the rest of the rooms you know you can fudge, you know, and make them look designed beautifully, you know, without going through the bespoke route. Um, so I think it's, it's yeah, prices have gone up. There is ways to be clever with it. Um, there's a lot of great product out there that you don't have to wait for, that you can get, you know, off the shelf. So I think it's about, you know, a good integration of both. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, a good mix of, of, of bespoke and some off the shelf ideas yeah. if you're yeah. kind of working to a budget. Um, of course, not all clients are um i want to talk a little bit about how um esg um and sustainability have affected your industry i think um i think it's definitely a trend that we're starting to see in Mm -hmm. our industry Mm -hmm. clients um, asking more questions about how sustainable homes are how energy efficient they are Mm -hmm. um how are you seeing that impact um the way that you design clients homes
1: yeah, it's really interesting because we've just had a situation like that just last week. So we're working on a big, um, big house on a lake project, and um, and the house original design planning permission two years ago was this wrap around glass all the way around the house, three floors, beautiful house overlooking a lake um now all these new regulations have come in um the sats cal which is basically the amount of heat that is allowed into a house mm. so there's a certain calculation that the m e engineers um, find and then those so now you can't you have to be very careful of how many windows you put into a house because windows allow heat in yep. so there's a lot of regulations now on windows how many windows um, you know you 25 percent lights have to be light efficient your down lights um have to have a certain rating um, in order to install the downlights. You can't just put a load of downlights up. Um, there is a big movement towards sustainability. I, you know, Is it hugely impacted on the houses? I think in lighting and heating, yes. I think um, as far as furniture, I wouldn't say so. We haven't found that just yet. Clients
0: wanting recycled
1: materials for their sofas. Yeah. <laughs> no, it hasn't quite. We haven't, to be honest, we haven't really had that. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, if a recycled piece works, then absolutely. I don't think the industry as a whole has caught up on that just yet. I don't think there's not a sustainable home furnishing supplier that I can even think of, you know. It's a good idea. It's a great idea, yeah. Yeah, that could be our next business. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I wanna talk a bit about sort of creating timeless designs because I think for, um, you know, for a lot of people, Uh, you know when they do up their home that'll be it for quite some time you know they won't often then do that again maybe for the lifetime of the time that they own that home um you know some clients obviously will continue to revamp and refurbish refurbish but for some clients that big project at the beginning you know that that is it um so what advice would you give to a client you know refurbishing their home and wanting to
1: have something that stands the test of time I think, I think it depends, one, on the client and sort of what their, their, their interior design requests are, what their, their brief is. You know, some clients like it bold and bright and want these bright colors, which can, you know, get tiresome over time. Mm. But there's people that really love them and want those bold colors and bright colors from the get go. They want to live in the space as they want it now. So, as long as it's clear and it's made clear that you know, yes, in maybe four to five years' time, you know a bright red kitchen, you know yeah. you may not be very keen on in five years' time. But you have that conversation in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we personally say if if you know if you keep your pieces very clean, um, you know have shape, have but you can you can accent with color with cushions and throws and mm-hmm. even chairs, you know you can always be a Yeah, so that's an easy fix. But joinery and actually furniture pieces, that's a bit trickier. But if you have painted joinery, again, you can repaint again, which you'll have to do anyway because you get chips and snags and that sort of thing. So I think if you keep the design quite straightforward and, uh, but you can still get creative with it. So I'm not saying a boring design, but you can, you know, get very creative with some inlay, bronze inlay or some great handles. Um, And then you do a paint, you know, we like to mix paints and woods, you know, that looks really great together. That's quite timeless. Um, I think flooring also is quite timeless. I think you have to really be careful with your flooring because that's a really hard thing to change in a few years' time. Uh, Joinery is quite straightforward. You can reupholster, you can paint, you can change handles. Um, So that would be my advice. Just keep it a little bit cleaner and add your color in cushions, upholstery, um, even paint color. You know, you have to repaint anyway if you want to add it, you know, red somewhere. You can have a really cool red cloakroom, you know, or something like that. Um, what about tips for investors?
0: So <clears throat> people that are buying properties to let out, mm-hmm. um, you know, clearly are not going to want to spend the same sort of budget as somebody doing up a home. How do you approach those sorts of projects? Um, cause I know that you have, you know, done up some apartments yeah. for, for developers, uh, and homeowners not to live in, but for the, yeah. for the investment market, how do you approach an investment project? What's the difference between that and looking after someone who's refurbishing a home?
1: Yeah, I think that, so an investor is a different remit. So, you know, we do a lot of those actually. And and what happens is the remit typically from the investor or the contractor is that they, they do want to keep it timeless and it has to appeal to a broader audience, right? Mm-hmm. So anybody that walks in the door. So So in order to do that, you really have to stick to a very neutral color palette. You know, you don't want to scare anybody off when they walk in. So your grays, your beige, your, you know, off-whites, those colors as a base. Um, and then your furniture to follow needs to be quite seamless, uh, nothing too garish, nothing too, too, um, too, too, too much movement in the furniture. You know, you want to keep it very linear. I think it has to be very clean to the eye that somebody can walk in and just add a few cushions on there at a potted plant on the kitchen island you know maybe change a few lampshades but that's it you know nothing that you're going to want to revamp the whole place because it's just too loud or too strong or anything like that so i think a neutral palette for an investor is pretty much key uh i think that's really good advice
0: um i always like to sort of end our podcasts by asking my guests like some of their top tips um we've already had lots of great top tips from you already but one of one of the questions I had for anyone listening to the podcast today that is an aspiring interior yeah. designer that wants to get into your world um what advice would you give them is it all glamour do you need to have a degree or a qualification How, what advice would you give someone that wants to start in this industry?
1: Well, the first thing I would say, it's not glamorous. <laughs> People think that we just sit, you know, and pick up fabrics all day and cushion fringes, and it is absolutely not that at all. Yeah, um, there's a lot of technical drawings, a lot of admin, a lot of logistical elements that go behind finishing a house. So, uh, so you have to have the stamina for it. Um, I think you have to have good. Um, Clientele rapport—you have to be able to read clients. I think, I think yes, a certificate always helps. You know, going to school for sure, more for the technical aspect of it, because you do need to know how to do CAD and how to work within proportions and spaces, and um, and how to do a lighting plan and bathroom drawings and things like that. But I think. At the end of the day, you know, you know who you are if you're good with furniture and you know who you are if you're good with fabrics and how yep. to put it together. And it's, again, as I said earlier in the podcast, like it's something you you just have a natural inclination. Like you can walk in and say, I can see the room, you know. So so some people, you know, my team are very good in technical mm-hmm. and, and that's where they stay and that's their comfort zone. And that's fantastic because I need that. And then we have, uh, you know, then we have a logistical team that manages all the deliveries, uh, the orders that go out, checks the samples, returns, and then you have that department. And then we have our sort of ff creative department, which is basically, is exactly that. The creative, we put all the elements together of how the concepts are going to look. And we yeah. do all the presentation to the, to the client. So there's different areas of interior design that you could get into. So mm-hmm. it just depends on what draws you in. Um, but it is, you know, it's a fantastic, you know, career. If, yeah. if you know, it's just finding what works best for you. Offered, uh design offering any internships at the moment? <laughs> We're always taking interns. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got one final question, which yeah. is, well, it's a couple of questions, actually. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with so much competition out there, you know, if you haven't got a great buying agent like yeah. BlackBrick looking after you, making, you know, really good recommendations of tried and tested yeah, companies yeah. like yours, which we do frequently. But if you haven't got that and you're looking for an interior designer, what questions do you think clients need to ask? of their interior designer, how, how is the what tips would you give for somebody to help them choose who to work with when there's so much choice out
1: there? Um, I think I think for me the most important thing is really like when you when you speak to clients, so what you want you don't want to do is you don't want to start a project where you've got an interior designer, then you've got the, the contractor, then you've got the planning permission department, then you've got the architect, then you've got the M&E. So when you have all these different trades, you know someone has to coordinate all that. So what we offer, which I think is a huge bonus, and I think why the business does well, is that we offer the package. So we're a one-stop shop, so we all communicate with each other. So we have a building team, we do all your planning permission documents, we do all your M&E drawings, all your lighting plans, we do all of that. We curate art, we do landscaping. So it's all under one umbrella, so I think that is really critical if, mm. for success of a job, particularly with all the issues with materials and delays, you know there's an entire coordination process, and there's probably about, you know, 200 SKUs involved in just getting a house up to where it needs to be. Yeah. That someone has to manage. So you really would like that's typically better under one umbrella, yeah, um, and one person responsible. So that's what our our upside is that we offer that and. Yeah. And I think we also have a a large enough team that there's always someone there available. You know, if there's an emergency that happens, there's always someone there at the office. Um, We have an amazing construction company that works with us that we integrate um, all our designs through. Um, The client is very much in touch with all the whole team. Mm -hmm. So there's no barriers, there's no hierarchy. You know, of course, there's one person that you communicate with. But, you know, it's really important that when you look at a design team that you, you know who you're speaking to. You you know when you send your Pinterest boards, you have that same line of communication and that person that really understands what your remit is. So I think what ends up happening is sometimes people get moved around depending on you know if their budget lessens, they get moved to a different department. Well, I mean that's awful. You know we mm. would never do something like that. So you know we, we are that one stop shop, and I think I think that's really important. Yeah, and, I, and and I think also the fact that we do various interior design yeah design yeah. concepts. You know we're not one one look. You know, because we're such a varied team, we can come up with concepts that no matter what your style is, you know, we can appeal to.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess another area that clients sometimes have difficulty understanding is how interior designers get paid Um, because so many different designers designers operate, you know, different ways of of, of charging. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there an industry standard that everyone follows? How does, it, how, how does it work? Because I think sometimes it's a bit of a gray area that clients have yeah. a hard time understanding.
1: You know, it is, it's very, every person, every company has their own way of doing it. I guess it also depends on the package you're offering and, and what is behind the scenes, like what is required for each remit. Um, the way we work is we have a design fee that is amortized throughout the course of the job. And what that design fee allows the client is the all the technical design, all the drawing that leads up to the package. Um, now, within that drawing fee, if we have to do planning permission documents, and there obviously is a fee for that, if we have to do site surveys for engineers, plumbing, draw anything like that, we, there's a charge for that. But that's also part of a design fee. So that design fee can be as small or as big as required, depending on the remit. Then separately to that is the procurement package. So. Um, the procurement package is obviously all the product that we've selected, we've agreed with the client, um, we've done the bespoke drawings for, um, and that package is a separate costings. And the way we work is we split the trade with the client, which is really good because, you know, we get anywhere from you know 15 to 50% off on product. So for example, on a fabric, you know, we would get, you know, 40% off, let's say. So we give 20% to the client and we keep 20%. Yeah. And that just covers all our time, you know, the procurement time, which yeah. is huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, so so that's how we work, yeah. and, and it's really been great. It works easily, the client feels like it's fair. You know, they never pay above retail on product, um, so the money they're saving within that trade price helps pay some of the design fee, yeah. which is really nice. Um, and it's it's great, and it's not driven by you know some what some d- design firms do, which I find a little bit as sort of a conflict of interest is they make they charge a percentage of the procurement package. Yeah. But then then it's sort of you know sort of then you tend to want you gravitate toward proposing product that's more expensive. Yeah. Right. Because you get a percentage of the higher price. So. Yeah. I find that a little bit conflict of interest, um, in that respect. So we we don't, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, so there's different ways that work for people, you know, but that's how we do it, that we feel is fair and it's worked quite nicely. Yeah.
0: Agreed. Yeah. You've done so many projects since launching your business in 2000. What has been the most memorable project that you've done to date?
1: Wow. That is, there's quite a, there's quite a few of them we've had so many amazing, amazing if you projects. have to pick one you can only, oh, gosh, pick. Okay. You can one, only one, pick one, one. Uh, okay i would say probably the pool house mm. yeah so we did this house in at the lakes by you. i'm yeah. sure you're probably familiar with that yes and it was uh, a house that had a pool on the rooftop which is the only pool in europe on the rooftop uh, for a residential and uh for residents and um I think that was probably our most memorable. It was just an amazing project. Yeah. Um we had full scope, no remit, yeah. you know, just kinda go with the, the landscape, go with the the size of the house. It was an enormous house. Um six bedroom if I remember correctly, and it five was and just thousands uh, it, yeah, five and a half thousand right. square yeah. feet over three floors. Yeah. It was big it was big a lot so of windows a pool on a roof on a roof that's amazing oh my god and yes, did it ever it was... leak no <laughs> no i know you just hold your breath when you see this pool being yeah. brought down on, on a yeah. pulley but it was insane but it, was it was a beautiful amazing. house I, I i i've seen that house yeah i also think
0: that's a great example of how a great interior design and designer can help you achieve um a, a brilliant exit value Yes. Um, you yes, know i think that fine exactly. almost Without mentioning figures, but yeah. doubled their money. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. From what it cost them yeah. to buy the house yeah. and build it, and yes. use you to yeah. design it and furnish it, yeah. and then the exit price in quite a short time frame. That's very big. Is, yeah, uh, doubling his money. Yeah. So there we go. Great yeah. example. Um, so final top tip for you is yeah. um, we're approaching the end of twenty twenty three, um, and um, what are your top tips and and where do you see interior design trends going in 2024
1: oof okay um i mean to be honest i'm not sure i mean what we're seeing now which i think will definitely go into next year is the furniture collection so we're doing um so i'm doing a talk actually on monday um on the same subject with a furniture supplier and what we, we were chatting the other day and what we find is that Um, we find this in our studio is that our furniture now is taking we do a lot of curves there's a lot of arches a lot of round i think this whole luxury design has changed to much more what we would love to call like comfortable leisure luxury design Mm -hmm. so it's it's um a lot of the shapes are not as angular there's not a lot of corners and i think that's all evolved from the soft muted colors that have now been introduced this year down to now making the furniture soft. So we're doing, we're including arches. I mean, we did it in this house as well. We've done, you know, arch critical doors, shower screens are huge arches with ribbed effect, Mm -hmm. glass, which is ribbed, which is also sort of a curved effect versus a straight glass, Um, coffee tables. We shape them like a kidney shape, you know, sofas. Oh my gosh. I mean, you've seen them probably the curved sofa trend. I mean, it's fantastic and now it's taking on where this curved sofa with sort of a big chaise at the end, which is stunning. So we're doing loads of sort of softening the the four, four walls in any space and softening it with curves, and I think that was gonna be hugely strong next year. I mean, we're seeing a lot of it now, but I think next year it's gonna take another leap, and it's great, because you know what? A lot of, you know, our houses are all square boxes, and when you can throw in a curved sofa with a nice round coffee table, yeah. it's just that little element. And you know, even like an armchair with a curved back, it just changes the shape of the room. Yeah. Well,
0: that brings us to the end of this month's Finding Perfect Property Diary of a Buying Agent. Thank you so much, uh, Manuela, for joining us and giving us a real insight into the world of interior design, trends, how things have changed, um, and how good design can really impact the value of the property. Please join us again soon for more expertise from across the UK real estate market. For more information about how to purchase property in prime central London, um, or for an introduction to Manuela, please get in touch via our website. Don't forget to like and subscribe on whichever podcast channel you choose to listen. See you next time.